but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast on the 19th of November. How's it going? I'm CJ Baumgartner. We're bringing down all that there is in Minnesota sports for today, and we're taking a look here. First, at some teams that played last night, that is the Minnesota Wild. They played the Dallas Stars last night, and boy, did they win. They were amazing. Seven goals scored by seven different players, and it was a game that could have, you know, there was a couple moments where you thought maybe things could, before the game at least, you were kind of speculating as the game, as uh, puck drop got closer, that hey, maybe the, uh, maybe the, Maybe the Wild, uh, you know, Kaprizov got sent down to the third line. You know, what's going on? Is this going to be, you know, is, is the team going to be okay after this? Dean Evison's clearly not happy. He's clearly sending a message. How is the team going to respond? Ryan Suter's coming to town with the Dallas Stars, a division rival. I mean, the Wild were slipping in the standings. They weren't in first place coming into that game. So what were they, what were they going to do? And they come out and they win 7-2. to two. They score seven goals by seven different players. Kirill Kaprizov, who you can go back on yesterday's podcast and say, look, I'm not concerned about being sent to the third line. I think it's just a motivational tactic. If it has to keep being used on him, I'll be concerned. But a one-off thing I'm not going to read too much into. It's essentially, you know, for those who aren't too deep into the hockey world, essentially, you know, getting sent down to the third line is getting uh, benched in basketball. It's, you're coming in off the bench, I should say. You're, you're not in the starting five but you're going to come off the bench. You're just not going to play as many minutes, and you're not going to get the recognition of being in that starting five and, and in Kaprizov's case, being in the, the first line. But I didn't doubt Kaprizov at all. And you know what he did? He responded. He came out in this game after all that stuff, after all the talk. Kaprizov came out, and he uh, he came out and got a career high in four points, and including a goal. And I know his goal was more of a setup by, uh, I believe it was either, Ra- I think it was Rask set him up on that goal. But either way, Kaprizov got a goal. He got four points. He was making plays all around the ice. And Kaprizov didn't stay on the third line very long, by the way. Kaprizov did get pushed up, which makes uh, the case of when I was in high school, we had uh, we had a guy, one of our starting players, one of the better players on the team. He ended up sitting out, uh, not sitting out a game, but he didn't start. And everybody was really concerned for a second why he didn't start, and then he ended up playing the whole game. And he didn't start because we had a rule in high school that you needed to shave before games. You need to be clean-shaven before every game. And one player wasn't clean-shaven, and he wasn't able to shave before the game. So to send a message, the coach just didn't start him. And everybody was concerned for a second, but he came out and played a normal amount of minutes after taking the initial, you know, the initial punishment. And I don't mean punishment as in like a, you know, like a, a disciplinary, like a harsh disciplinary sense, but just uh, you need to send a message and you need to make sure you know that you know, you're know you upholding to what you want to accomplish and to the standards you have. And that's what Dean Evison did with Kaprizov. He essentially said, we're going to sit you down initially. We're going to send a message that, hey, you're going to be starting in the third line and it's going to, you're going to be, you know, publicly 
You're going to make everybody go, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? And you're going to go, I don't want to do that again. And Kaprizov came on. He played a great game. And we talked about yesterday how, you know, the Wild never even attempted to do that with Suter and Parisi, who had big contracts, not as big as Kaprizov, but they had big contracts. And, you know, they were maybe more star. They had more star power because of at least Parisi did. But you would have never seen the Wild even attempt to do that in the heyday of the Parisi and Suter era. And that just shows why Dean Evison, Bill Gurr, and just everything that they have works because, I mean, that just buys credibility with your team. You see your team holding everybody accountable. You see your head coach holding your team's best player accountable. Well, that makes you know that these guys want to win, that these guys are serious about it, these guys want to win, these guys aren't going to kowtow to the best player's demands. And, and it's not like your priest have had any demands or anything, but you just see that, you know, that there are no free passes. That's a better way to phrase it, that there are no free passes for any players on this team, you got to earn your time on the ice. And if you're not playing well, it doesn't matter if you're Kirill Kaprizov or if you're Ryan Pitlick. You are not getting ice time if you are not playing well. And especially with – I'm not the one who's saying it, but especially with a lot of people floating the effort concerns out there with Kaprizov. So it's a good bounce-back game for the Wild. They're back in the win column with a commanding win. They have now – 22 points on the season. They're tied with Winnipeg for first in the Central. They got the tiebreaker, so the Wild are above the Jets right now in the standings here. And for the Wild, they are going out to Florida for the weekend. They are playing the Panthers tomorrow. They are playing the Lightning on Sunday. And expect them to go 1-1. One one. The Lightning are a good team. But this is a Wild team that can play with anybody in the NHL. And after, and I mean, it just wasn't a bounce back game for Kaprizov. It was a bounce back game for the Wild in general, coming off that 4 1 loss to the Sharks uh, at home. So you come out, you play a great game against the Stars. I mean, just a phenomenal game. And now you're just sitting there in for, tied for first place towards the middle of November. Your team's sitting pretty good. You just got to keep, keep that thing rolling, especially because you have a chance to play Winnipeg again in the come, uh, next Friday. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff going around for this wild team. They got a, I want to say they have a bit of a tougher stretch coming up. The only tougher stretch I would say is just that they have to play the Lightning twice and the Jets once, and then they have the Leafs on the back end of it. But they have, for the next month or so, they have a pretty light schedule. So again, they there's not a lot of teams. There's no team that the Wild walk in, and I say that's an instant out. Their teams, when you look at the Maple Leafs and the Lightning and, and later in the schedule, you have Connor McDavid and the Oilers, you have the Golden Knights. But outside of that, these are teams that the Wild should win. They really haven't even had to go play a bunch of these Eastern teams yet that the Wild should be able to take care of as well. So it's looking pretty good for the Wild as they get this uh, as they get the season going. And it's been a good start. And when you see things like that, when you see Dean Evison holding players accountable and you see the Wild come out on the ice as they did last night and Kaprizov having a good game, because I've said that all along, even if Kaprizov is having issues, if you believe that they are really bad, well, the Wild are still in first place. So imagine what happens when Kirill Kaprizov does get hot. Imagine what happens when he does figure things out. This team gets taken to another level. And oh, by the way, Boldy is no longer on the injured list. He is off it, and uh, I believe he's going down to Iowa. But it's just another benefit for this wild team if they get some guys going in the minors to get the prospects going. The future is bright in Minnesota despite the cap, uh, despite the wild being in cap heck. So it's not uh, – it's 
the futures well of the prospects despite that circumstance. All right, now let's move on to the Minnesota Timberwolves here today as well. And with the Timberwolves, um, I mean, I'm going to say it. I didn't think they were going to come out and beat San Antonio. You could have heard me on the podcast last night. I didn't care what their record was for the Spurs. I knew that the Wolves would I, – I knew I thought that they would lose. I thought that they would succumb to Greg Popovich who – Man, the Spurs. I'm just going to take a second here to talk about the Spurs. Spurs are brutal, man. They are just a mess. And they might be in a rebuild of their own. They're probably in a rebuild of their own. I mean, I mean there's no Aldridge. There's no uh, – you know, there's no Aldridge. There's no DeRozan. It's just – it's all it's all falling apart for them. But for the Wolves – and one last thing for the Spurs. They're a mess, and I'm not sure how long Greg Popovich wants to really keep doing this. I mean, the dude's, what, 72? He's in his 70s. How much longer does Greg Popovich want to coach a losing team? I don't know, unless he just wants to handpick a replacement. It's uh, not going to be some great basketball in San Antonio or in Houston. or I mean, it's okay in, in Dallas. It's not really a great time to be a basketball fan in uh, in Texas at, uh, at this rate. But with the Wolves winning... Uh, last night they've won two now in a row and here's the thing they won ugly on Wednesday night they won ugly against the Kings but they came out and they smacked San Antonio in the mouth right away or at least didn't let San Antonio get their footing early because the Wolves started the game on a 22 to 3 run San Antonio couldn't make a basket for the first five minutes of the game for the first 10 minutes of the, I mean it was not going well for them and it was the NBA, so you knew they were eventually going to try and chip away at it a little bit because that's just how these games are. Players are just too good. But they still were able to hang on. Carl Anthony Towns had another great game. And I, I don't know. The, the Wolves just played a complete game. In a game on Wednesday night where they played awful and they won because the other team was just worse than they were. It's not like they were better than the other team. And, yeah, the Spurs were definitely worse than the Wolves last night. But it's the way that the Wolves won. The Wolves won commandingly. San Antonio had a bad game, and the Wolves made them pay for it. Sacramento had a bad game on Wednesday, and the Wolves almost let them get away with it. And that, I think, is what's made the Timberwolves the Timberwolves, is when teams have bad games, they don't capitalize on them. When the Pelicans didn't have Zion, you didn't capitalize on them being out of position. When you lost to the Magic, you had a fourth-quarter lead. They weren't having a great game. You didn't capitalize. You let them capitalize on it. You didn't capitalize on a team being down or having a team in your sights or having a team right where you wanted them. This Wolves team did last night. They've won two in a row. They play Memphis, who's been their kryptonite over the last four years. If they can find a way to beat Memphis, they play New Orleans again. They win four games in a row. They're 6-9 and nine right now. But if they, if they win two more games in a row, they won four in a row, and then they'll be at 8-9. and nine. And 8-9 and nine isn't a bad record to be at in late November. It's, it's really not. And the season still has a lot of life left. We have until the end of March. We have until the end of March before we worry about the playoffs. We still have a whole three and a half months before we even need to worry about this. So, yeah, things are going to develop. Things are not over yet for the Timberwolves in that aspect. They're going to need to win a lot more. And they're going to need to win a lot more against teams that aren't the Spurs and the Pelicans. And you know what I mean. They're going to need to win some of those games. But – this is my point. Are the Wolves turning a corner? Because they played a great game against the Suns. They didn't come out on top, but they played a great game. And then when you think about how they played, you know, they beat Sacramento. It was ugly, but they won. Then they handily 
find a way to beat the Spurs. And I think just with this Wolves team, the way that they're playing, and I have this in my notes here, it's apparently good things happen when you make your shots and the other team doesn't. The Spurs didn't make a shot at all. The Wolves, on the other hand, did. And they've been figuring out ways to get better on offense. Like Chris Finch has said, they've gotten better at distributing. They've gotten better at moving the ball around, which is a big thing in Chris Finch's offense. And it's a far cry away from the offenses that, you know, none of these players are around when Tibbs was here outside of Cat and Akogi. But it's a far cry away from some of the other offenses. The Wolves wanted to play small. That was the Rosas thing, and it did not set them up well. But... This is a Wolves team that wants to move the ball around. They have a couple guys kind of that black hole tendency, cough, cough, D'Angelo Russell. But when the Wolves get into the habit of moving the ball around and getting it in space, they've done a good job. And you look at it yesterday, they shot 47% from the field, but most importantly, which is good, by the way, most importantly, they shot 43% from three-point range. They made over 23s last night. And again, the Wolves have one of the highest three-point volume shooting percentages in the NBA. They've shot the most threes out of any team. One of the most teams, one of the most three-point shooting teams in the NBA is the Minnesota Timberwolves. That doesn't mean that they make all of their shots, but it means that they are trying a whole bunch and they're trying like heck to conform to the modern NBA. And when they're able to do that, they're able to beat anybody in the NBA. They are. The problem is they just haven't done it that consistently. But when you think of guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, those should be three guys that you should be confident in. They're three-pointers. Anthony Edwards is up and down. So is D'Angelo Russell. Cat's going to be consistently good at that. But I think this team is turning a corner. The defense we know is always there. They've been playing better on the defensive side of the ball. Chris Finch says they need to get better at rebounding. He said he was showing them film uh, during halftime of how they weren't rebounding in the first half. Anthony Edwards said Finch was yelling and out of character and they wanted to play well so they could make him stop yelling because they didn't like it. It wasn't wasn't how a Chris Finch usually is around that team. And the Timberwolves will break him eventually. But it's just with this Wolves team, it feels like not that they're turning a corner to become a playoff contender or that they're going to become a, a four seed, which would be best case scenario for the Wolves is that they already were going to be a playoff team and then you turn a corner and then you get to a ceiling, not necessarily Phoenix Suns level, but you get to a level where you're competitive. You're in that you know top eight of the NBA uh, Western Conference teams, and they're just not there yet, but they can still turn a corner and get back into that playoff team conversation, a team that scrapes in in the play-in tournament. Because with the Wolves and with the Western Conference right now, again, there are 32 teams in the NBA. There are – or there are 30 teams, excuse me – in the NBA. There are 15 teams in each conference. 10 out of those teams make the playoffs. So that means all you have to do is be better than five teams. Well, let's take a look at the at the uh, NBA standings right now. Let's take a look and see where the Wolves rank. Now, the Wolves aren't in the playoff picture if the season were end today, but they would be number 11. They are a half game behind the Oklahoma City Thunder for the 10 spot. Then you have Lakers, Trailblazers, Grizzlies, Nuggets, Clippers, Mavericks, Jazz, Suns, Warriors. You have the whole standings there. But you have the Thunder sitting there. And the Thunder – I mean, the top nine teams in the NBA all seem like locks at this point to make the postseason. It's just who gets in on that 10th spot, and it's the Thunder, the Wolves, and the Kings. Those are the three teams. The Pelicans are 2-14. and 14. They're not going anywhere. 
The Rockets are 1-14. The Spurs are 4-11. All those three are bottom feeder teams. It is the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Sacramento Kings, and the Minnesota Timberwolves that are going to be competing for that 10 spot. And there is absolutely no reason that the Wolves shouldn't grab that bull by the horns and take it. Now, I know I've said before not to trust them to do it, not to assume that they'll do it, but there needs to be reasons as to why this Wolves team shouldn't get into the play. I mean, they should be expected to get into the playoffs. They should be. If this is their competition. Because let me tell you, the Thunder are 6-8. and eight. The Wolves are 6-9. and nine. So are Sacramento. They have the same record as Minnesota. There is no reason that the Wolves shouldn't be in this playoff conversation or at the very least fighting it until the end of the season. If we get to March and the Wolves have been out of the playoff race for like a month, things have gone sideways. And they have a chance to make the playoffs. Now it's a play-in tournament. It doesn't mean the same and, and whatever. But just for the confidence of this team – for everybody in the organization to try and build some confidence with what they want to do, they're going to need to make the playoffs at least once. I mean, I know Tibbs was gifted a good roster from Flip and then used a lot of that good roster pieces to trade for a star player who didn't want to be there, but at least he was able to get the team to the playoffs one year. That's not to say that he was a good coach or that, you know, the not trying to rewrite history with how it went with Tibbs here, but... He was still able to find a way for them to win enough games to get into an 18 playoffs. Can he? And they beat out a team like the Nuggets. They beat out some teams that uh, that other teams didn't. So if you're going to want them to get into the playoffs, they're going to have to prove it. And there's no reason why the Wolves shouldn't prove themselves and get into the playoffs this year. It is wide open for them. Now, again, there's a long ways to go, but Carl Anthony Towns is good. Cat, uh, Ant keeps developing. And the Wolves keep learning under Finch's offense. And the more that they get comfortable in that, the more that they can... Because again, Finch has only had about a half a season with this team. So they really still... It feels like he's been the head coach for longer than he has. But the team has not been connecting the way... Or has not been gelling yet the way that they need to be. And it's got to get some more time. Finch says that he feels like they're... Not that he said that they're turning a corner necessarily. But he said that they're playing well and they're starting to figure some things out on his offense, and if they can figure some things out, there's no reason that the Wolves should not be in the 10 seed by the end of the season or better, depending on how things shake out. All right, now let's give a talk here about the Minnesota Vikings here for today. It is Packer Week, and with Packer Week, we have, uh, we talked about our defense, we talked about the Vikings' defensive keys to winning on Sunday and to getting the win over the Packers, getting to 500 on the season, there is no reason the Viking. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why the Vikings should lose. But if the Vikings truly want to be that playoff team, if the Vikings truly want to be the team that they've been telling everybody they were all season, they need to beat Green Bay. They just do. Beating Green Bay at Lambeau Field in December, January, whatever it is, is not going to fly. You need to beat Aaron Rodgers on your home field, and you need to do it this weekend. You need to do it on Sunday. So how are you going to stop Green Bay? You, how are you going to stop Green Bay's defense? Or at least how are you going to score on their defense? Because the Green Bay defense is nothing special. They're middle of the pack in pass defense. They are 14th in rushing defense. They're a team that really, I mean, pressures, they're about middle of the pack as well. So they're a team that doesn't do anything particularly well, but they're not a bottom team in any particular area. But this is still a Green Bay team that has some playmakers. They, um, you know, they, Rashawn Gary, 
uh, is limited. I don't know if he'll play or not, but they still have talent on that defense. And specifically in the defensive line is where they want to generate the pressure. And if you're Minnesota, you got to figure out a way to maximize your offense. And how are you going to maximize your offense? Well, I have a gut level feeling, but I feel like we're in for a big game for Adam Thielen. Not like a monster, like 200 yard game or something, but I feel like Thielen is going to have a very solid game today. He's been quiet or on Sunday. He's been kind of quiet for the last couple weeks, and he's been kind of, you know, as I mean, he had the touchdown at the end of the Baltimore game, but other than that, he's been kind of quiet and things haven't been going super well. And I don't think it. It's anything bad. I just think it's just been a down point in his season. And I feel like based on Justin Jefferson having such a great game the week before, having 150-plus receiving yards and having all the accolades, and I feel like the coaches are just going to be more fixated on him, which is a good chance for Adam Thielen to come out and have a great game because, let's be honest, Green Bay just doesn't have the corners. I mean, Jair Alexander, he's hurt. So it's not like you're – it's not like the cornerback list for Green Bay is necessarily at the very top. It's not like they are the it's not like they're the 85 Bears, it's not like they're the 2017 Vikings or the 2015 Broncos or whatever whatever defense you want to insert on there. There's no reason that Adam Thielen shouldn't carve up this team because they're going to be putting a lot of their efforts on Jefferson and Thielen should be able to make him pay. Now, also though, you need to get you need to lean into Kirk this game as well. You're going to have to score plenty if you're going to want to win this game because I mean, the games with Rogers, how many games with Aaron Rodgers have ended up being like 13 to 10 slug fest grind fest. Now, the more often than not, if you want to beat Aaron Rodgers, you got to score because we talked about before, if you don't slow it down, Aaron Rodgers, initially, you're going to have to just outscore him. And that's something that not a lot that barely anybody can do. So you have to slow him down early. And even if you slow him down early, you still have to be on the attack and you still have to be aggressive throughout the entire game. And you've got to lean into Kirk on this one. You have to lean into Kirk. And I've been saying that since the beginning of the season. I've mentioned it a little bit last season, but mainly this season, I've been banging on that drum for the lean. You know, I didn't coin lean into the Kirk, but I'm going to, to coin lean into the passing game. Because if the Vikings would lean into that passing game, if they realized that, hey, we are not a defensive team that runs the ball, plays mistake-free on offense, and dominates time of possession while our defense holds down in key spots. As much as Zimmer wants that to be the case this season, it's just not going to happen. So what are the Vikings going to have to do? They're going to have to pass more. And as much as Mike Zimmer doesn't want to do that, they're going to have to pass the football more if they're going to want to come out and beat Green Bay because you're going to have to out your Rodgers. I'm sorry. That's just how it's going to be. You look at the Vikings' wins or the games where the Vikings played close against Green Bay, it is because they were aggressive. It's because they were scoring. They were throwing the ball downfield. The Kirk Cousins' first game against the Packers ever at Lambeau Field. Kirk Cousins played maybe one of his best games in purple with how well he threw the football, leading the team to come back. It was amazing. So when you look at – and then you look at playing Green Bay at home – Later that I mean the Vikings tied in that one, but you look at playing Green Bay at home later in that season, they had to score. They scored, uh, they put their foot on the pedal, and they won. And the, it's just one of those things where if the Vikings need to do well, they need to find a way to score and lean into Kirk Cousins and lean into that passing game because it's going to be crucial against the Green Bay Packers defense that isn't bad, but it's sure, certainly right for the picking.
And on top of scoring, one of the things the Vikings are going to have to do as well is they're going to have to not commit as many penalties. They're going to have to play a clean game. And that's something that early Mike Zimmer teams, the very the first, I think it was like the second season Mike Zimmer was here. So still not even a ton of Mike Zimmer players. He had the team playing disciplined. And right now that just hasn't been the case. And when you look at, I mean, it's a, uh, there's an article here, and this is according to Vikings Wire, part of USA Today. And one of the things it talked about for the Vikings needing to win this game was that they were going to have to play uh, very good in the penalties. They were going to have to make sure that they weren't giving up the. Uh, and I'm trying to find, uh, trying to wait for the article to load here, but this is one of those. Uh, it's just something where the, or excuse me, it's by uh, the article is by Vikings Territory. And it just talks about how the Vikings need to play better uh, in the penalty game if they want to win. They're going to need to stop the penalty discrepancy if they're going to want a chance to come out on top. And when you look at penalty yards per game, the Packers are the NFL's second least penalized team in the NFL through the first 10 weeks. And the Minnesota Vikings are the most penalized team in the first 10 weeks. And we learned that by watching the first game of the season, how sloppy they looked. And it really just hasn't stopped. They still have not been a team that's been very disciplined. And it's going to, I mean, and especially for the Vikings, especially for a team that, uh, especially for a team that can't afford playing one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL and with a bank, I mean, Patrick Peterson's coming back, but still you don't have a lot of depth in your secondary. What's the one thing Rodgers is going to do? He's going to throw it deep. He's going to look to the refs and he's going to immediately try and get a pass interference call and you got to stop it. And this is according to Dustin Baker, who uh, covers the Vikings as well. Uh, you look at Mike Zimmer's second season. I talked about how good they were in penalties. They were top five in terms of least amount of penalties. In 2017, they were 13th. In 2018, they were third. 2019, they were ninth. Last year, even how bad the defense was, they're only sixth in penalties. This year, 32nd. So the problem is that the Vikings, they're not playing very disciplined. And it's just the yardage that they give up with that. And it's against a team like the Packers who get calls. You're going to have to figure out a way to – you're going to have to figure out a way to play better, play smarter if you're going to want to beat them. And that's going to be the biggest thing for Minnesota is can they clean that up? Because this is a quarterback in Rodgers who will penalize you. He And, I mean, he will make you pay for the penalties. And you're going to have to play cleaner if you're Minnesota, if you're going to want to come in, if you're going to want to win on your home field – against Rodgers, you're going to need to make sure that you're not committing these penalties. And one final thing the Vikings need to do is they need to start Mason Cole. Mason Cole is, of course, the guy the Vikings traded for. He's a reserve lineman. They traded for him in the offseason. He's from Arizona and or from the Cardinals. And he has not played really at all until Garrett Bradbury went on the COVID-19 list, and to which case – Mason Cole had to play a couple games at center. He's been markably, noticeably better. Not like world's better, but he's been substantially better to the point where Mike Zimmer is not willing to rename the first round pick his starting center. Zimmer was asked about a point blank all week. They were said, hey, Mike, uh, is there any question? Is Garrett Bradbury still the starter? He's like, yeah, you know, we got to let Bradbury get up to game speed first. He was like, Kind of downplaying it, like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 he's going to start, but, uh, you know, we just got to wait. We got to give him some more time. We got to, you know, uh, and let's be honest, if it was Brian O'Neill coming off the COVID list, the Vikings would not be saying, well, we got to let Rashad Hill get a game out there. Brian O'Neill's got to get his feet back under him. No, they don't 
they don't really want Garrett Bradbury to start, and they're going to let Mason Cole play, and they're, you know, just, oh, it's, the Vikings are basically trying to avoid backing themselves into one or the other. They're going to wait, and if Mason Cole has another good game, then they're going to play him over Bradbury. If he comes in and has a terrible game, then they go back to Bradbury, and they don't have to say, oh, well, oops. They just basically say, oh, we just wanted to wait till he was ready, kind of thing. So it just, with the Vikings, it, it all just goes back to, Mike Zimmer said today, even point blank, he said, have you named a starter yet? He said, I don't know. We, or he said, I've decided, but I'm not telling you. That's what he said. The day before, he was like, I don't know. Now today, he said, I do know, and I'm not telling you until game time. Because I don't want the other teams to know. Because, yes, obviously teams care about who the starting center is that badly. I mean, it's not like either one of them is game-changing. But, but let's call it what it really is. Zimmer is going to start Mason Cole, and he doesn't want the headlines being all weekend that the Vikings have benched their first-round center. And he was a first-round pick from a few years ago, so maybe kind of people forget about it. He was a 2019 first-round pick, so maybe people kind of just put it on in the back of their minds. Maybe they're not thinking about it too much. But at the same time, them benching their, their first-round starting center for a basically just a body and the fact that the body is playing better than him shows that the Vikings whiffed on that draft pick and that's not even against Garrett Bradbury personally he's an undersized lineman that the Vikings reached on in the draft because they felt like they needed to address the offensive line and the only offensive lineman they felt like they could take at the time was Garrett Bradbury and the Vikings again this is what happens when you don't have the cap space to be able to sign a bunch of offensive linemen and yada 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 we, we could go into that 40 rounds but the point of this is to say is that Mason Cole is going to be the starting center, and you just got to mentally prepare yourself for that. And it's not going to take a lot of convincing for a lot of Vikings fans to not start Bradbury because the Vikings, the the tackles, as we've been saying before on this podcast, the tackles of, of Christian Derrissaw and Brian O'Neill are actually good. They are solid. And with Ezra Cleveland, Ol Ezra Cleveland is fine. Ole Udo is a mess because of how many penalties he has. And Garrett Bradbury hasn't played well because he just gets pushed around by bigger bodies. And Mason Cole isn't exactly the solution, but he's just not a problem. And I think that there's two – I mean, that's a massive difference to be a problem and to – you know, there's a difference between being a problem, as Bradbury is, and just being not a problem but not a solution. And just being in that middle ground of neutral. And for and if you're an offensive lineman, that's the world you live in. Nobody looks at you, nobody thinks about you, a bad play happens, nobody immediately looks where you are in the field, and that's what Mason Cole is right now. He's not some savior that's going to make this Vikings offensive line better, but he's a guy that's better than, than Bradbury, and the Vikings are going to have to roll with that because that's just the, uh, the corner they're in right now. And again, he just does better against that middle pressure, and that's the thing that's given Kirk Cousins fits this season has been pressure coming right up the middle, which is a lot harder to dodge because he's a big guy coming straight at you it's hard to sidestep him as much as it is a defensive end who's you know coming with a full steam so it's easier to kind of move to the side and shimmy over so it, it again middle pressure has been Cousins biggest bugaboo Garrett Bradbury's been giving up a lot of middle pressure Mason Cole's been giving up less and also the Vikings have saw that he's played a couple good games in a row the Vikings need the wins Mike Zimmer doesn't care about the future of Garrett Bradbury if it means he's going to be fired next season but all right, I think the Vikings will beat the Packers, by the way. That's my final prediction. I think they will beat Green Bay. Getting back Patrick Peterson and Harrison Smith will help your defense. So I think that the Vikings should come out on top. They're playing at home. Aaron Rodgers didn't really get a lot of his footing on offense. He still might be out there for that bleep U game 
since he didn't really get a good offensive showing against the Seahawks last week in his first return back from his COVID exile. So we'll see what happens on Sunday, but I do expect the Vikings to come out with a win at U.S. Bank Stadium. Well, that'll do it for us this week on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll have a stock up, stock down at the beginning of next week, talking about reacting to this game and just who we think has played well and who we think hasn't, and all the more coming up, as long with our Wolves and Wild Takes, reviewing the Gopher game as well. We'll see you on Monday here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.